Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, it is a beautiful day here in Vermont. Spring has sprung, the sun is out, the birds are singing. Nothing whatsoever can dampen my mood. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I'm yep. sorry, Kieran. I'm sorry, listeners. Uh, Tony Weeks has stopped the podcast. He's heard enough. <laughs> that's it for this week. Uh, but, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. But that's that's an injustice. That's an injustice to stop the podcast right here. I I had barely started podcasting. I I, I was podcasting strongly. My podcasting was better. Honestly, <laughs> can, I can, I don't I just don't understand. Listen, it's, it's not fair. It's it doesn't matter if you think it's fair. It's over. Kieran, you live to podcast another day, okay? <laughs> I was podcasting perfectly well. <laughs> I just I just don't think it's fair. Yes, of course. I'm sure everybody by now knows exactly what it is we're talking about. And we are going to talk about that mm-hmm. quite a lot more, actually, in just a couple of moments. We've got a few other things to talk about as well on this podcast. We're going to look ahead to a pair of enticing battles next weekend as Katie Taylor takes on Chantel Cameron in her hometown of Dublin. While Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko clash for the former's lightweight crown, Eric will give me his top five Cinco de Mayo fights of the century. We'll play another edition of the fight game. We'll catch up on the week's news. But yeah, first to this weekend's news, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, where the record will show that on Saturday night on Showtime Championship Boxing, Rolando Romero scored a ninth round knockout of Ismael Barroso. But Eric... That box rec entry won't tell even half the story of an exceptionally controversial evening. Yes, uh, for for large parts of the 140-pound main event, Raleigh Romero, whose previous outing was a loss to Gervonta Davis a year ago, seemed on course for another defeat as he appeared utterly befuddled by the southpaw style of the 40-year-old Barroso. Barroso repeatedly sent a straight southpaw left hand to Romero's body, then switched it upstairs and landed cleanly on Romero's jaw. And the 27-year-old Las Vegan had no obvious answer to the puzzle in front of him. Barroso knocked Romero down in the third round, and through eight rounds, the Venezuelan was ahead on all three scorecards. Then came the ninth. Romero broke through with a knockdown that it was kind of a push, but it came on the heels of a couple of clean hard shots, so reasonable enough, I'd say, to call it a knockdown. Uh, But Barroso got up. If tiring a bit, he was he was still basically fine. The fight continued. They were exchanging some punches. A few landed. A lot missed. But both were throwing. And to slightly tweak one of my all-time favorite Steve Albert calls, Week steps in and the fight is over? Really? <laughs> what in the hell? Uh, Romero got the TKO win with Barroso on his feet protesting somewhat while his trainer protested much more vehemently, but it goes into the books as a stoppage at 241 of round nine. Kieran, let me hear your thoughts on this ending and on the fight and on what I'll generously call an uneven performance from Raleigh Romero. Yeah, I, what to say about all of this? Um, I mean, the first thing to say is obviously the, the natural and immediate response of a lot of boxing fans is to say that the fix was in and it was all very obvious. Um, that's not what happened. The fix wasn't in here in the sense that Tony Weeks wasn't in on some plot to hand Raleigh Romero victory. Um, boxing doesn't work like that, by and large, not anymore. Um, it's not so much a case of fixes. It's there's 
institutional bias against underdogs, against B-sides. Mm. Um, had this exact situation been reversed, would Tony Weeks have stepped in? I doubt it. Right. And that doesn't mean that there was a fix, but maybe. And the, the best explanation that I've seen was what Graham Houston uh, uh, offered, which was that maybe the Nevada Commission was like, hey, Tony, we've got a 40-year-old in here, and he looks like he's 60. So uh, be prepared to pull the trigger. Hmm. And 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 that's what happened. I don't have another explanation that makes any sense. Tony Weeks isn't a bad referee, or he hasn't right. hasn't been a bad referee. Right. Quite the opposite. Um, uh, as the guys on the call noted, um, you know, to, to to sort of play on your Steve Albert thing there, were it not for Tony Weeks, we might not have had one of the greatest fights in history, right. if not the greatest fight in history. Um, he's a guy who's not known for, for pulling the trigger really fast, but this was an utterly, totally bizarre stoppage. You're quite right to say that, yeah, Romero did crack Barroso, and he did hurt him. But it was the first time he'd heard him in the fight. It was practically the first time he landed cleanly in the fight. And yeah, Barroso did look like he was getting a bit weary there. It's the ninth round of a of a, of a tough fight against yeah. the twenty seven year old hard heading guy, um, and he was having a tough spell. But it wasn't a very tough spell, or it didn't appear to be a very tough spell. He was clearly coherent. Being a referee is extremely difficult. We say this all the time. Yes. You have to make split second decisions that are literally sometimes matters of life and death. Tony Weeks has been around enough to know when a guy's in trouble, when a guy's maybe in a bit more trouble than is apparent, when to step in, when not to. Uh, he's he's made that decision and he's made it well numerous times. I understand why boxing fans would go, oh, the fixers obviously win because that's actually the explanation that on the face of it makes the most sense. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, I don't know what Tony was thinking. I I should point out, I know Tony Weeks. I'm sure you know Tony Weeks. I like Tony Weeks as mm -hmm. a person. I like him as a referee. Uh, but I do not understand what the hell happened here. I don't know what he was thinking. Both men were throwing punches, as you said. Both men were landing and missing punches. I, I don't understand this. If I if it seems like I don't have anything smart to say here, it's because I don't have anything smart to say here. I, I, I'm I so just... glad to hear you finally admit that, Karen. I've been, I've been waiting. How long have we been podcasting together? Nine years or something? And I'm so happy finally. to hear those words. Yeah. Finally. Uh, I, yeah. And I, and I mean, look, what it, to, to get to the other question, Raleigh Romero looked poor. He He looked confused. I don't. I don't think you. Neither you or I have been particularly high on on, on Raleigh Romero ever since right. he got that uh, that gift decision uh, against uh, uh, Marinas. Well, a couple of years ago now. Right. Right. Um, he he just looked quite ordinary, and for all his talk, his brashness about how he likes fighting lefties because he enjoys knocking them out more, he looked utterly befuddled by a fairly standard southpaw stance and style and he just didn't look world level at no. all um he i had him five points down at the time of the stoppage i i gave him two rounds and them barely uh barroso was clearly winning this fight and without too much difficulty to be perfectly honest 
Romero more than got away with one here. I, I'm struggling to understand what the hell happened. I and I, I sort of understand why commissions are somewhat are reluctant to to put referees in the firing line in the immediate uh, sort of when 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 tensions are still hot. But at some point, I think on the in that evening or shortly afterwards, either the referee or a representative of the commission has to be able to stand up publicly by the by the time of the post-fight conference if not before and explain what happened and say i have spoken to the referee this is why he stopped the fight right none of that happened here and the commission looks terrible tony who has had a tremendous career looks terrible Mm -hmm. having been involved in uh, possibly the greatest fight of all time he's now going to be associated with because he's responsible for one hesitates to say the worst stoppage of all time, but it's one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm just struggling. It was not a very good fight, and it was an awful, awful stoppage. And beyond that, I just don't know what else to say, Eric. Yeah, I, I really think this may be the worst premature stoppage that I've ever seen. Mm. I, I can't think off the top of my head of anything worse. When when you add it all together with, with the fact that Barroso was leading and was never particularly hurt and was punching back and that there wasn't even like that one notable punch near the end that lands flush. Right. Sometimes you get that one punch yep. and the ref overreacts to it. And, Oh, you know, yep. that wasn't really that great of a punch, but the ref thought he saw something. There wasn't even that. So it, it just mystifies the hell out of me. Tony weeks is a great ref and not, not just a good ref, he, but yep. one of the very best and most reliable out there, maybe a future hall of famer. And, just cannot begin to guess what he saw, but he made a massive error in judgment, and I suspect he knows it. Uh, but but all we can do is guess about that and about everything else, because as you said, the commission wouldn't permit him to do an interview, which I think usually makes it worse. You know, you, you plead the fifth, you come off looking guilty, yeah. and so that's by him not saying anything, we can just sit here assuming the worst, and some people can sit here throwing the word fix around, which I agree with you, that we shouldn't be throwing that word around, but people are going to use it. Um, and, and bigger picture, Nevada has a real referee problem now. You know, they mm. had a good roster for a long time, but as we've discussed, Kenny Bayless has been looking washed for a while now, and now we have to worry off this one terrible performance that maybe Tony Weeks is getting washed. And and it's just there are no young guys on the way up in Nevada. You noticed elsewhere on this card, they're bringing in Thomas Taylor from California, mm-hmm. Harvey Dock from New Jersey. It's potentially about to become a huge problem where we have no good Nevada referees left. Um, and and the, the Raleigh uh, side of things... Um, he looked like crap in this fight, and, and I'm not sure where he goes from here. I know he has an alphabet-mandated fight with O'Hara Davies. Um, I would say a rematch with Barroso ought to happen, although it was not an entertaining fight most of the way, so do right. I really want to see it? Um, but, I, you know, I'm coming back to that thing we discussed pre-fight that Steve Farhood put out there. Is Raleigh the new Adrian Broner if he mm. loses? He didn't technically lose, but based on this performance... I think it's an insult to Prime Broner to make that comparison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you, you said this as well. I, I do not know if Raleigh is actually a world class guy. I have my do- doubts at the moment, and and that also comes back around again to 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 blaming Tony Weeks. That you know, had Romero overcome his shaky first eight rounds to legitimately win, 
we would feel better about him. And, yeah. and you know, he may have been on his way to doing that. We'll never know. Uh, yeah. It's it's like the last Super Bowl. You know, a ref throws a flag he shouldn't have thrown, and nobody can there ever know there who deserved to win the game. We'll never know, Karen. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's it's barely been three months. You d- you didn't really think I'd be over it yet, did you? Uh, so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the um the, the conclusion of that main event is it overshadowed everything else about the night, really. And to be fair, the co-main event could do it being overshadowed. <laughs> um, Francis Bartholomew outpointed a disappointing, I think you have to say, Omar Juarez over 10 rounds to win a majority decision in about that. Well, the best I can say about it is that, you, as you said to me over DM, it wasn't the worst Francis Bartholomew fight ever. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on the fight and the decision? I disagreed with the decision. I had it 96-94. Juarez had no problem at all with the 95-95 card. A draw would have been perfectly fair and fine. But the other two judges carded 97-93 and 98-92 for Bartelemy. Those were really horrendous scorecards. The judging was actually worse than the fight itself, which is saying something. (laughs) Um, Juarez took a couple of rounds to get started, but then after that, I I thought outfought Bartelemy most of the rest of the way. But they were both disappointing over these 10 rounds. Bartelemy, he fights with no passion. He's he's lackadaisical. Mm. It's like he's having a sparring session, and he does himself no favors covering up so often, making it look like he may be hurt, whether he actually is or is not. And Juarez was was just wary enough of Bartholomew's counters to never quite go for it. At the end of the 10th round, before the decision was read, when I thought the worst Juarez could get was a draw, I wrote down, Juarez is nothing special, but he's good enough to beat an unfocused slacker like Bartholomew. <laughs> I, guess, I guess he wasn't in the eyes of two of the judges, though. Uh, the, the fight had a, a few semi-exciting moments making it indeed not the worst Bartholomew fight ever. Maybe not even close to the worst. Um, But, uh, man, I I cannot figure out how you give only two or three rounds to Juarez. But I shouldn't waste time trying to figure out. I've I've already wasted enough time on it. Life is short. (laughs) Let's move on. Um, While the main event was, to put it mildly, controversial, and the co-main here was soporific, the the first fight of the night was terrific. Uh, Although, once again... The scoring was an issue, uh, as once again, to my eyes, two bad scorecards ultimately overruled one fine scorecard. Um, Former podcast guest Kenneth Sims Jr. put in a gutsy performance to battle through a badly swollen eye and outpoint Batir Akhmadov via majority decision at the end of 12 back and forth rounds. Scores were 114-114, 115-113, and a much too wide 116-112. Kieran, how did you score it? And we have to start taking Sims seriously as a 140-pound contender? I actually scored at 115-113 Akhmedov. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no problems with 114-114 at all. Um, I don't really have a problem with 115-113 in the other direction. A couple of those rounds were very close. Um, there's no way Akhmedov only won four rounds. Um it's funny, I did mention almost in passing during our preview that judges apparently don't like what Akhmedov does and I wonder whether that might affect his ability to get a decision. He must be feeling so snake bit by, mm-hmm. by now. Um, but as for Sims, look, this is his second upset win in his last five fights. Um, in contrast to Akhmedov, judges apparently do like what they see of him. And look, I, whether you thought he won or lost, or I thought he just lost, 
I was impressed with the dog in him, um, to use the word that he was using to describe himself. He can box and move. He can throw punches in combination. He can dig his toes under the canvas, fight his way out of tough situations. Um, I think I think you mentioned a shocky Foster last night, uh, last week, in, in connection with with uh, with Kenneth Sims, and his career path really is starting to emulate Foster's now, from a rough record and showbox to well, now surely being on the verge of of moving up a level here in terms of his opposition. Look, I don't think he's remotely in the same league as Josh Taylor or Teofimo Lopez or Regis Progre, but right. it sure as hell beat Raleigh Romero, <laughs> or at least be in with a real chance of it, Kenneth right. Sims. Um, he can display a variety of styles. He's got an ability to adapt. Apparently sparring four-minute rounds isn't exactly hurting his staying power at all. Um, when he heals up, when that eye opens again, um, I am looking forward to seeing Kenneth Sims uh, again and seeing him continue to move. I, I think he has some potential, particularly because judges do appear to like how he fights. They like his flashy punches. They like his power combinations. They like his counters. Um, but they don't like Ekmetov. And what I, I already can infer what you thought of the score, but after three now incredibly tough calls against him, what does Akhmedov have to do to actually win a decision? You can probably infer my exact score even because obviously I scored it the same as you. That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> I had it 115-113 Akhmedov also. Um, and actually, the, the there was one round that I struggled with uh, that basically it works out that if anything, I could see 116-112 Akhmedov more easily okay. even than a draw. But I basically felt like the worst he deserved was a draw. Um Akhmedov, he has to now be the most hard luck fighter of his generation. None of the three losses were outright robberies, but to go zero for three on three mm. coin flips, I, I can't think of the last fighter who suffered that fight in 12 rounders, one after another after another. This actually may have been the closest to a robbery of the three. I still wouldn't certainly not call this a robbery, um, but you know, I found six rounds that I thought were either clear-cut or close to clear-cut in Akhmedov's favor. So I, I have trouble even getting to that 115-113 card for Sims. Um, and, you know, and I, I hate to slight Sims. who, who He fought well, and he fought hard, and he hurt Akhmedov in the ninth, which was a key mm. moment that may really have won him the fight. Um, but, yeah, what what does Akhmedov have to do? Uh, we, we can't even say start faster anymore, because he really only gave away one round here. He got going in the second round. My best guess as to what's happening is that all these judges don't properly appreciate and score body shots. So maybe he needs to move away from working the body mm. a bit. But I don't know. It's kind of silly to not do the right thing just to yeah. try to score points with the judges. I don't know. Um, it was a great fight, though. Uh, yeah. that, that was the one thing redeeming this whole fight card. All, all the scoring and refereeing was suspect. None of the results were really satisfying, but at least Akhmedov and Sims put on a show for 12 rounds. Indeed. Um, before we move on, a quick update on our picks competition. We were on course to pick up a combined zero points for the entire <laughs> card yeah. until Tony Weeks intervened. Um, we picked, we both picked Akhmedov over Sims, uh, zero points there. We both picked Juarez over Bartolome, zero points there. <laughs> We did each pick up two points, however, for predicting that Rolly Romero would KO Barroso. 
you picked round eight. I picked round seven. It happened at round nine. I, for one, am very glad I didn't get the maximum five points for that because that would have left a bad taste. If one of us had won at the end of the year on the basis of picking that that, that round, uh, that wouldn't have been great. As it is, we each get two points. The score totals are now 43 to 40 in your favor. Had, had Tony Weeks stopped it in the round you predicted, I would be screaming fix. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I would have been hard pressed to to disabuse you of that, I think, actually. But anyway, all right. Uh, no fights on Showtime next week, but we do have a couple of significant cards to preview. Let's go first of all to the fair city of Dublin, where on Saturday on DAZN, undefeated and undisputed Katie Taylor, twenty-two and zero with six KOs, steps up in weight to take on England's Chantelle Cameron, with seventeen and zero with eight KOs, and is similarly undisputed at one hundred and forty pounds. Taylor is the undisputed lightweight champ, uh, and uh, Cameron is undisputed at 140 after recently outpointing Jessica McCaskill to take all those belts. Um, Eric, with the exception of that classic with Amanda Serrano, in which she had to rally from being badly rocked, and that tough first battle with Delphine Person that ended with a majority decision, Taylor hasn't even lost a judge's scorecard, let alone a fight. But Cameron has three inches of height on her, three inches of reach. And anyone who can score a unanimous decision when over Jessica McCaskill can clearly fight. Um, how likely is it that Taylor's first pro fight in Dublin will also be her first pro defeat? I'd say it's below likely, but above impossible. Somewhere, somewhere in between those two. <laughs> uh, it, it could happen, uh, but I, you know, th- this is a good, solid fight, but but not a hard one to identify the favorite. I guess is what I'm saying. Cameron gotcha. Cameron has expressed concern in the build up to this about letting it go to the judges in Dublin, uh, especially as Taylor has been in close fights twice, as you mentioned, and gotten all the benefit of the doubt from the judges both times. And now she's at home. So, so Cameron is talking as if she needs a knockout. Is that just how she's talking? And it's like a misdirect kind of move. Maybe. Mm. Um, But I do think she needs to be aggressive, especially because she does have that size advantage. She needs to try to be something of a bully in there. So I suspect she will come to scrap, but Taylor will just have a bit too much for her. It's hard to say how good Cameron is. Um, The win over McCaskill was certainly very meaningful. Nothing much else on her resume tells us much of anything. Uh, And McCaskill started horribly in that fight and then was coming on in the late rounds, but had just fallen too far behind. So bottom line, we, we don't know quite how good Cameron is. We know Katie Taylor is both elite and beatable at the same time. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting a hard competitive distance fight with Taylor getting her hand raised, probably deservedly, but possibly with a little home cooking. Uh, I'll say this. When Serrano fell out of their planned rematch, Katie Taylor didn't go with a softy for her homecoming yeah. bout. This is a real challenge, a meaningful fight for all the belts in a new division. Katie Taylor doesn't mess around. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, look, Cameron is legit. And... And I think you're probably right that she's going to the difficulty that she's going to have is that she is going to have to try and force the pace. She is going to have to scrap. Taylor's really good at that. I mean, she works really well in close range. She does have boxing skills, obviously, Katie Taylor. Um, She she does move well in and out. But when it comes down to it, when it's dig your toes in, just get in and fight. There's there's really none better than Katie Taylor doing that. And that's where Chantel Cameron's going to be at the real disadvantage here. you know, Cameron's probably going to have to win eight out of ten rounds to have right. a chance of getting the decision. But that said, I do think that while I also make Taylor the favorite, 
I think if she wins comfortably, well, clearly, I think it will be one of her better wins because mm. I do think that Cameron is a legitimately dangerous opponent for her. All right. Um, the card also sees Terry Harper, a 13-1-1 with six KOs, whose lone defeat came via bizarre knockout to Alicia mm. Baumgartner, take on veteran and former women's pound-for-pound champ Cecilia Brakus, a 37-2 with nine KOs for a 154-pound belt. Kieran, can our buddy Cecilia, who has only fought once since suffering back-to-back losses to McCaskill in 2021, get back in the title picture at age 41? Or is a 26-year-old Harper likely to prevail? Yeah, look, Cecilia Breakers, she's been a tremendous standard bearer for women's boxing. She was a consistently classy presence at the top of the rankings at a time when women's boxing was only just beginning to show the kind of breadth and depth that it's able to display now. But look, like you say, she's 41. She's had 39 fights. And of those 30 have gone the distance. She's been boxing since 2007. And not minor point here, Terry Harper can fight. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, after the losses to McCaskill, Breakers talked about retiring only to change her mind. And I think once your mind is there, once you're half thinking about retiring, that's an option in your head every time you step in the ring, every time things get tough. Look, it's by no means a foregone conclusion. Breakers has been far too good for far too long to write her off here. But I don't know. I think the odds have to be against her. And if she does lose, I do wonder if we will indeed finally see her walk off into the sunset. Yeah. Uh, later that day on ESPN, uh, another undisputed lightweight champion, Devin Haney, defends his belts against another former pound-for-pound pound number one, Vasily Lomachenko, at the MGM Grand in a fight that, with all respect to Taylor and Cameron, is probably the main attraction of the boxing <clears throat> weekend. Uh, Kieran, at one thirty and below... Lomachenko was 10-1 and one with eight KOs, with his only loss coming in his second pro bout against an Orlando Salido who missed weight by a mile and played speed bag with Lomachenko's testicles all night. <laughs> uh, since stepping up to lightweight, he's 7-1 and one with just three KOs, has been knocked down by Jorge Linares, has had a couple of surgeries, and recently went 12 fairly hard rounds with Jermaine Ortiz. Haney, meanwhile, has been consistent. In the last five years, he is 11-0, with just three stoppages. He's rarely exciting, but generally dominant. For what it's worth, he's said it's likely he'll step up to 140 pounds after this bout. Lomachenko's clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer, and you were first in line to lavish praise on him at his peak, but as they say, father time is undefeated, Mm -hmm. so will youth and size prevail on Saturday? Yeah, styles make fights. And for a long time, I just felt this was tailor-made for Haney. He doesn't do, to my eyes, Devin Haney, anything especially innovative. Doesn't do anything you haven't seen before. He isn't the kind of boxer you urge people to watch. But what he does, he does remarkably effectively. Um, Remember a while back, you, you gave me a top five challenge, which was to come up with the five favorite potential matchups among all the four princes and i really struggled to find a spot for devin haney and i can't remember if i shoehorned one mention of him i I believe you did you squeezed him in at like nor number four or five against someone i thought it felt a little forced it was a little forced (laughs) because i thought i can't not put him in here at all uh because i do remember during the prep i was just grappling with with that prospect um but i did i think i said at the time and i felt it that even though he's not the guy who floats my boat as much as some of the others, 
it's entirely possible that Devin Haney will be the one to emerge from any possible series of matchups among them all as the top dog, that he just might have that style that's going to be hardest for others to beat. He's reasonably tall for a lightweight, uses his length well, but he's also compact. He doesn't overreach. He doesn't leave himself out of position or unbalanced. He just makes it very hard for opponents to make any kind of hayway against him, any kind of inroads. And the fact that he's a little bit boring, but technically proficient, non-risk-taking boxer, is actually likely to work to his advantage against Lomachenko. Lomachenko will eat you up if you open yourself up, if you leave space for him to counter, if you commit yourself in any kind of way. You have to be super disciplined. Use a jab, try and keep him at bay, prevent him from doing what he does so well. That's what Tiafimo Lopez did in the first half of their fight. And, and it's what I expect Devin Haney to do here. And add to that the fact that, as you said, Lomachenko hasn't been quite as dominant, 135 pounds. Lama isn't a big guy. I kind of wish he'd stayed at 130. Mm. Um, he's even talked on more than one occasion about moving back down there. So on one level, everything tells me this is Haney's fight to lose. But as I've thought about it a little bit more, the one thing that's given me pause is the fact that Lomachenko has seen guys like Haney before. Not necessarily exactly like Haney or as good as him at what he does, but relatively conventional, albeit technically excellent boxes. And Haney, on the other hand, has never seen anyone like Lomachenko because there is nobody like Lomachenko. It's possible that Loma just presents him with puzzles he just can't solve. I I think that Lomachenko needs to be moving constantly, bending, using his upper body movement, making himself even smaller relative to Haney, forcing Haney to punch down, trying to lure him into reaching and being ever so slightly off balance into, into, you know, chasing him a little and i think if he can do that if he can force a crack in that haney discipline he can exploit it and he can box his way to a win um but that said the other factor that i still haven't touched on that you brought up is the father time thing and i much as i love lomachenko i do think it's going to be tough for him to do so if anybody can do it to haney he can but i think he's going to be up against it yeah i tend to agree with all that and and i find myself wondering could this be Loma's Duran versus Barkley moment? Uh, mm. that, that's the winning scenario him that for him that that he he he's that clever and that determined that that he can just summon something special even though he is a little bit past his physical best and score that win that that actually tells you he's still a pound for pound guy after all. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I just think it's possible because Loma, you know, he he's just one of the great unique special fighters of, of his time but it seems like this is the wrong fight against the wrong guy at the wrong yeah. time most likely i will say though about haney he hasn't faced an a-level fighter yet um yeah he, he got wobbled pretty good when he fought jorge linares uh and it, his big breakthrough wins were two wins against george cambosos which you know fine but mm. you know some people have been critical for years uh, of Tank Davis's resume, um, but I think even before he fought Ryan Garcia, I would have given Tank's resume the slight edge o- over Haney's. So, you know, what I'm saying is my eyes tell me Haney is really, really damn good and, and should win this fight over an aging, not at all hard-hitting Lomachenko. But I just wouldn't be surprised if it goes entirely other, the other way and that people have gotten a little Haney happy and uh, sort mm-hmm. of elevated to him, a, him to a point that he hasn't proven he's at yet. Again, D- Duran Barkley, that, that's the fight it could resemble if Loma can still get to that place and 
if Haney isn't quite what his supporters believe he is. Uh, great fight, though. Really looking forward to yep. it. And um, if Haney wins, I will be beating the drum as loudly as anyone for Haney versus Tank. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Okay, Kieran. Are you ready to play the fight game? I'm never ready to play the fight game. <laughs> Are you going to play the fight game anyway, despite not being ready for it? I am contractually mandated to play the fight game, so yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so you'll recall I struggled last time. I got a four, which uh, is basically a D if we're giving out grades. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let's see if you do better, uh, and let's see how I'm doing with mastering the art of the first clue. Um, <laughs> okay. I think for some listeners, this will be gettable in one, but, uh, but no pressure, oh, of okay. course. Um, no, none at all. <laughs> none. <laughs> Here's your first clue. This fight in Detroit featured a 209-pound champion defending against a 188-pound challenger. Okay. So, it's a ways back. I'm going to say. Okay. Um, when heavyweights were normal-sized humans. <laughs> I still, I'm not sure I'd consider 209 pounds uh, normal size compared to uh, guys like us, but sure, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> less, Indeed. less of the super heavyweight variety, yeah. Okay. Um... Jersey Joe Walker again, Rocky Marciano. A perfectly reasonable guess. Not the answer to this one. Okay. Clue two. Many times in history, the light heavyweight champ unsuccessfully challenged the heavyweight champ. This was one such time. Oh. Um. <clears throat> so he was actually the light heavyweight champ, and I'm going to say it was probably... I'm thinking it's probably like the 50s, 60s. Um... I'm going to be annoyed with myself, aren't I, if I don't get this? <laughs> well, you'll certainly get it by clue five. <laughs> you are a <laughs> sentient like, human. The, because because the uh, clue five is basically spelling out the, the names? Yes, I'm just rhyming okay. names, yes. Okay. Mm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking at the okay. moment, so let's go to, uh, let's go to Clue three. Okay. Clue three. Uh, the knockout call went as follows. That's the left hook, and that does it. One need wait no further as the count proceeds. I'm tempted to say something to help you out a little bit. Should I? Should I, listeners? Should I help I him out just a bit? Give in to that temptation. Okay. I'll just say your time frame is a little bit off. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. So it's not a like a not like a lot a lot off. It's not last year or anything, but uh, but you're so a it's more like seventies than or sixties than fifties and sure. Yes, you're now now you're talking about the right general time frame. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I'm so completely blanking <laughs> on this. Here's what we have so far. While you while you ponder, it's in it was in Detroit. Featured a 209-pound champion against a 188-pound challenger, who in this case was the light heavyweight champ. And the knockout call was, that's the left hook, and that does it. One need wait no further as the count proceeds. So was, the, was Rocky Marciano the defending champion? No, Rocky Ro Marciano is not involved in this fight. It was... Okay. All right, we've already established it. It was a bit after that. the okay. Marciano era had ended, yes. 
Okay. Was it Floyd Patterson? It was chance. not. It was not. Should we move on to not. clue four? These feel like guesses, kind of, once you're thrown. No! <laughs> Would you like to make one more formal guess before I give you clue four, or do you want to go on to clue four? Sonny Liston is heavier than 209 pounds, right? So it's, it's not... It's not him either, although he was around that. He was in the 210s, maybe, at most. I, he was, I don't think he was over 220, but... Um... But anyway, it's not him. It is not. All right. So, so, all right, let's go to clue four. And this will this will help uh this will tell you the exact result and also per- perhaps help you zero in on the time frame. That call that I just read, that's the left hook and that does it. One need wait no further as the count proceeds. That was uttered by Howard Cosell. And mm-hmm. the end came at just forty nine seconds of the second round, one future Hall of Famer destroying another. <sighs> Was so it's not was it Joe Frazier? Mm-hmm. The that's the left hook was uh, meant to be a yes. clue within a clue. Okay. So who the hell did he beat as the light heavyweight champion? Uh, was it Buster Mathis? It it was not. So we for the okay. first time We're... ever we must move on to clue five. Oh the shame and embarrassment, <laughs> Karen. Well, I blame the quality of the clues. I mean, I just think it's a—I think it's been appalling so far. But anyway. and it actually occurs to me that clue five, like I don't actually rhyme the fighter's name, so uh, it's not. You still should get this. Here's clue five. Uh, in his next fight, the winner of this bout would win the fight of the century. The loser would go back to defending the 175-pound crown he'd won from Dick Tiger in 1968, and would never have an unsuccessful defense. He'd never have an unsuccessful defense. Right. So what? So he's, he's a, a great he's a, like, a hall, heavyweight champion. Well, he's in the Hall of Fame. This, this was one future Hall of Famer destroying another. Uh, so he's all, then all it, So it's Joe Frazier. Oh, it must be Bob Foster then. Yes, there it is. Phew. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, get, you get an F plus, not a full F. Wow. Joe Frazier, yes. KO2, Bob Foster, November 18th, 1970, Kobo Arena in Detroit. And it feels like one of those things where you haven't thought of Bob Foster in a few years and he you just wasn't That's popping true. into your mind. Yeah, yeah. The oh, last, well. You know what? The last time I actually really thought of Bob Foster was when um, I was ringside when Antonio Tarver knocked out Roy Jones. Okay. And a particularly annoying member of the boxing quote-unquote media of whom we both have a strongly negative <laughs> opinion okay i have some guesses Ooh, this now the fight game <laughs> part two you guess we'll, we'll yes. take it off the air but i will be making some guesses certainly promptly stood up and started screaming to everybody all the light heavyweight champions who would have beaten roy jones and said <laughs> i knew it i knew it and of course bob foster was top of that list right and which is there's a legitimate argument to have, but I definitely would want. say Bob Foster in his prime versus the Roy Jones who had come back down from heavyweight. I oh, do, yeah. I do favor Bob Foster that if yeah. he lands something, Roy's in trouble. Yeah, but yes, but that was possibly the last time I actually thought of Bob Foster. Sorry, Bob, because you were actually an all-time great like heavyweight yes. champion, but but not able to succeed at all when he tried to come up to heavyweight. He lost to Ali as well. Uh, just well, uh, yeah, I mean, look at, at that. that I size. mean. Yeah. yeah, and that era. I mean, let's be fair. 
Right. And interestingly, in the call, I rewatched the whole fight, all two minutes and 49 seconds of it, or three minutes and 49 seconds, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, and they, Howard Cosell mentions in the first round that even though Frazier weighed 209 and Foster 188, both camps suggested they thought the scale was five pounds heavy. So it, they, it may have been more like 204 oh, wow. versus 183. So Foster really didn't come up much above light heavyweight for this fight. You know what's funny about this, though? It also sort of, and I think you've alluded to this, how sometimes when you make a guess with the first clue right. and you get stuck in an era, yep. and even though you were gently trying to usher me out of that era, <laughs> yes. it was like, really, I mean, when you think about it, and if that size and once you sort of said well it wasn't this and it wasn't patterson it had to be fraser and but it just took me a long time to get there because that part of my brain was like are you sure it's not rocky marciano right a lot of of walcott marciano patterson kind of locked into your mind but you had to go 10 15 years past those guys yeah yeah well there you go there you go see it's all about it's all about the first clue and the response there too (laughs) so there you go Sure. Tell yourself sure. whatever you have to tell yourself, Karen. I, you know, uh, I also felt bad about the fact it took you four guesses last time. <laughs> I wanted you to feel all right. You, you know, wanted it's... to set the bar at, at a, a new low. We're, going a, we're recording this before the Sixers get knocked out of the of the the NBA. Maybe, maybe yeah, not. Maybe we'll see. The, we'll the listeners see. know as they hear this. They do. They do. All right. Okay. Let's move on rapidly. Yes. Um. Not to the news segment, and there's not very much news this week, uh, and there's no obvious main event, so we'll just throw everything into one pot here. Uh, uh, if you haven't heard it already, you probably heard it on the Showtime Championship Boxing broadcast that uh, Tim Zhu is keeping busy while he waits for Jamel Charlo. He will face Carlos Ocampo on June 18th. I think June 18th in Australia, isn't it? June 17th here in right. these here United States, and that will be uh, part of a two-fight card on Showtime Championship Boxing. Uh, the rematch between Chris Eubank Jr. and conqueror Liam Smith has been slightly delayed as a result of a back injury to Liam and will now take place on July the 1st. Wisely or unwisely, Joe Joyce has exercised his immediate rematch option. And why was there an immediate rematch option? I hate immediate rematch options, but anyway. Uh, and negotiations are now underway for him to once again face Zhilei Zhang, who stopped him in the sixth round last month. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, we last saw getting his face broken by Canelo Alvarez two years ago, has announced that he plans on returning to the ring before the end of the year. Uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr. will now face Emantis Danionis on July 8th. Their previously scheduled bout was postponed a couple of times, including most recently when Ortiz experienced rhabdomyolysis for the second time. Um, it's, his persistence with that disease uh, caused some whisperings about the future of his career, but Ortiz told ESPN that doctors have now determined that it was a consequence of long COVID. Um, and having determined that, they've been working to keep the symptoms under control. Um, finally, some sad news. 22-year-old Filipino boxer Kenneth Egano collapsed and died following a fight last Saturday. He won the contest, but was knocked down during it and collapsed after the bout. Egano, whose record was 7-1 and one with three knockouts, was from Manny Pacquiao's hometown of General Santo City. And Pacquiao said before Egano died that he would pay all his medical expenses. Um, Eric, your thoughts on all the above? I mean, that... Agano news is, is just awful. This, you know, the sport carries risk like almost no other, and uh, and it never gets any easier to hear about a ring death. Um, but uh, good for for Manny Pacquiao for the the gesture to pay medical expenses, and hopefully that extends to funeral expenses. Um, 
whatever whatever Pacquiao's contributing. That's mm-hmm. I guess about the most anyone can do in this horrible situation. Um, the other stuff uh, that's great that Tim Zhu is keeping busy. Uh, it's it's the right thing to do, I suppose, but it also tells me Charlo's recovery is not going yeah. smoothly. Zhu must know he won't be ready until at least the fall. Um, the Joyce Zhang news. Um, we've all heard that Zhang is in the mix for a summer fight with Tyson Fury. Word is this may be a move from Joyce just to get himself some step aside money. Ah, right, so, gotcha. so Fury Zhang can go ahead, uh, but he but he'll make a little something uh, while he sits on the sideline. That that's a smart oh, okay. way to play it if that's what he's okay. doing. Um, and Virgil Ortiz, all I can say is I hope the doctors are right and and they're on yeah. their way to getting it under control. I do worry about him being weakened in any capacity yeah. coming into this fight. Um, this isn't some tune-up where you can have a bad training camp and be at 75% on fight night and still win. Stan Jonas is damn good. On the best of nights, Ortiz is only, I think, a slight favorite over him. This is a serious test. And I I just wonder if Ortiz will be willing to postpone again if something ain't quite right with his health. Uh, But I sure hope he's going to be 100% because this is a great fight if he's fully recovered from the rhabdomyolysis. Yep. Rocky Marciano. It's Rocky Marciano. No, sorry. <laughs> nope. It's still not nope. him. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap things up with the top five countdown, uh, which does not feature Rocky Marciano. Uh, you assigned doesn't me Doesn't last... it? <laughs> Mine doesn't. Yours may. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you assigned me last week the top five Cinco de Mayo weekend fights of the 2000s. And it being of the 2000s really makes it hard for Marciano to be in here. Um <laughs> Uh, And I took it upon myself to say in the moment last week that I want to make it the best fights, not the biggest fights. Sure. After doing my research, I have no idea whether I made the right call there, Um, but they're definitely very different lists. Uh, The the clear Mm. top two for biggest, neither of those are showing up among best. Uh, But the list that I have of best, it's not a very deep list. I got... Are you, you, you sound that, I, I that was sounds like you're going to say the same thing. I was surprised that there are not more really good fights. Yeah. I was yeah. a bit shocked by that, actually. Yeah, I got exactly five good ones with no honorable mentions that I need to seriously okay. consider including. There is still a lot to discuss when I'm finished, but I just wouldn't quite refer to any as honorable mention. Uh, but uh, yeah. why don't I just uh, dive right into my list here uh, at number five. And I think think we could debate back and forth all day the best order for my four and five sure. um i get to invoke the name of your man crush miguel Cotto, and <laughs> what i think we can all agree was the best loss of his career uh may 5th cinco de mayo exactly 2012 his decision decision loss at mgm grand to floyd mayweather not a great fight but a very good fight Mm-hmm. One of the more entertaining of Floyd's career, one of the more grueling of Floyd's career, fought at a very high level. Cotto made it about as competitive as he could have. Uh, looking back at the scores, 117-111 and 118-110, I can't remember exactly how I scored it on the night, but in my memory, it was a closer fight than that. I, I think of it more as a 116-112 kind of fight. Um, that's immaterial. Floyd won in his final fight before going to prison for a bit. This was right in the heart of Floyd owning Cinco de Mayo. Very big event. Yeah. Very good fight. I put it at number five. Yeah, I remember feeling the same way about the scores. I was ringside for this fight, and Miguel actually bloodied Floyd's nose, as mm-hmm. I recall, which didn't happen too often. Uh, and I, if I recall correctly, there was something about round eight or round nine. 
could have had a particularly good round and and really you know really took it to floyd and then mayweather did what mayweather does uh, or did and when he was seemingly up against it he just found that extra gear mm -hmm. and won the last three rounds or whatever to give himself the margin i think i might have scored it 16 12 i don't i don't think it was as close as 15 13 but i right. think i scored it around 16 12 as well uh and thought it was a, a really excellent fight i thought Kuro did himself a, a you know some uh, some real credit there right. in that fight that was a terrific fight great to be at okay uh so number four the one that i sort of debated with mayweather koto which should come first it's another tough mayweather fight from the same phase of his career also at mgm grand May 3rd, 2014, the first fight yeah. with Marcos Maidana. Uh, this one was only a majority decision for Mayweather, and it was a surprisingly tough fight to most people. Uh, but Maidana had just the right high-pressure DGAF style to yeah. make Floyd miserable, even if Floyd was doing the majority of the clean punching and undoubtedly deserved to win the fight. I think maybe this was a slightly more exciting, entertaining, dramatic fight than the Kodo fight. But it's hard to say. Uh, the, the Kodo fight was a cleaner display of boxing. This was kind of rough and ugly. Yeah. So it kind of depends what you like, classier boxing or something with a little more brawl to it. But anyway, another very exciting fight by Mayweather standards. Good enough to crack my list at number four. Yeah, I mean, I, I favor the Mayweather Kodo Probably because it's Kodo, and I was there for Mayweather Kodo, and that always makes a difference, of course. Yeah. And I remember watching that, and, and, and I seem to recall that there was some, you know, sentiment that maybe Maidana had deserved a decision, which he totally didn't. I mean, he it was a close-ish fight, and Maidana deserved credit for that. But I certainly didn't think that there was any doubt at the end of it in my mind right. that Floyd had won the fight. But yes, Maidana uh, showing basically what Castillo had shown earlier that if you are capable of just basically just stop trying to hit Floyd in the head and just hit him right. anywhere. <laughs> right. You could make it a really difficult, difficult fight. And uh, yeah, I think on the basis of <clears throat> the Brona fight and the two Mayweather fights, Marcus Maidano waddled off into the into the sunset as an extremely <laughs> fat and happy retired man. Yes, he wasn't waddling at the time he retired. But at he, the time, he, no. he, he has since waddled. Waddling. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, you gave me the option to include undercard fights, and I'm using that option at number three. Ah. Um, I had kind of forgotten about this fight until doing my research, but it was a damn good one. May 7th, 2011, on the undercard of a rather lousy pay-per-view main event, uh, Manny Pacquiao versus a faded and overly friendly Shane Mosley. On that undercard, Jorge Arce, who I've included his uh, upset knockout loss as a young prospect to aging Michael Carbajal on at least one or two past lists. Mm -hmm. Well, the shoe was on the other foot here. Arce was the old guy who was probably supposed to lose, but he got up from a fourth-round knockdown to win via KO in round 12, over the then unbeaten Wilfredo Vasquez Jr. Uh, at the time of the stoppage, heading into the 12th round, two judges had the fight dead even. So whoever won the 12th would win the fight, and Arce hurt Vasquez, unloaded along the ropes until at 55 seconds of the round, Vasquez's corner threw in the towel. One of the best wins of Arce's career, certainly the best win of the latter stages of his career, and uh, to my eyes, the third best Cinco de Mayo fight. Great call. Didn't even think about this. E even though I said, go look at undercards if you want to, I didn't go and look at any undercards. <laughs> and so I didn't even think about that. What a good call. Yeah, really 
yes excellent fight yeah good thinking that yeah i have nothing to say except damn i should have thought about that i put in the work sometimes kieran yeah evidently at least one of us does so that's good <laughs> well it's also you assigned me the list so it's it's assumed that i will be doing a little more work than you that's yeah, kind yeah, of the way these that. things yeah, are supposed to yeah, work yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah was, right. I was too busy thinking about rocky marciano fights so. <laughs> right you just started thinking about them like 20 minutes ago kieran. <laughs> i'm not buying that excuse you don't know that <laughs> right I don't want to know. I, I think I know too much about what's going on in your brain. <laughs> well, there is that, yes. Um, all right. So the top two here really separate themselves. Um, yeah. And the top one really separates itself from yeah. number two, but we'll yeah. save that. Uh, but number two is a classic in its own right. Sort of before the Cinco de Mayo super fight was totally a thing. Uh, May 8th, 2004 a fight that was very nearly a one-round blowout, but instead yeah. turned into a 12-round classic. And we're four for four now on fights on my list taking place at the MGM Grand. Uh, Manny Pacquiao, yeah. Juan Manuel Marquez won, which ended in a split draw. This was a fight so good, they had to do it three more times. Uh, and, <laughs> and this is actually, in my view, only the third best fight of the bunch. Um, anyway, everyone knows the details, I'm sure. The laser left hand dropped Marquez three times in the first round. Joe Cortez would have been within his rights to stop it after the third knockdown, but he didn't. Marquez got up and started boxing his way back into the fight and basically figured out the mostly one-handed Pacquiao. And by the end, both guys thought they'd won. The judges couldn't agree. 115-110 each way and 113-113. A classic, if not quite the best Cinco de Mayo fight of this century. Yep, indeed. And But for the obvious number one, uh, that we've already talked about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, it, it would deservedly be number one. Honestly, it's quite funny. I was there also for this, but I'd forgotten that that's when it was, like that it was yeah, a me Cinco de Mayo fight. Yep. And and so, yeah, I was quite surprised to come across it. And uh, yeah, what a what a fight, what a night. Uh, I think, if I recall correctly, Pacquiao had just beaten Barrera the the first time, and he sort of really... Mm -hmm. On, on top of the Ladwaba, you know, emergence, of course, was, was really becoming this kind of force. And I just remember being utterly stunned in that first round, thinking, yep. my God, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and the ability of Marquez to come back and make, you know, and get a door out of it was, was quite remarkable. And Joe Cortez, boy, I tell you, we owe him a lot because <laughs> uh, not just for that fight, but for the three that came afterwards. Yep. So. Yeah, and, uh, well, we all know what the number one is. We do indeed. As, as long as you're aware that this fight happened on a Cinco yeah. de Mayo weekend, then it is your number one. There are no other options a human being yeah. can have for the top of the list. <laughs> I really don't think I need to waste podcast time talking about it. May 7th, 2005, not at MGM Grand, but rather at Mandalay yeah. Bay, Corrales Castillo. That's it. I refuse That's to expound. That's all yeah. I have to say. Corrales Castillo. Here, here's what I'll say. You got to fucking put this at number one now. <laughs> Right? Corrales <laughs> Castillo. Nice. That's it. Yep. And we will finish by saying a wonderful refereeing job by Tony Weeks. <laughs> yes. So there you We've go. come full circle on Tony Weeks, yes. Um, I, I do have some additional thoughts on just sure. the, the topic here. Um, I guess if there are honorable mentions, they would include De La Hoya Mayorga, which was a fun ass-whooping. Mm. Canelo versus Daniel Jacobs, not too exciting, but a competitive boxing match. Uh, Mayweather Mosley had one very memorable round. Yeah. And Pacquiao Hatton, I guess the greatest Cinco de Mayo knockout that we've seen. Um, 
the two biggest events on that the, the holiday weekend are, of course, Maypack and Mayweather de la Hoya, neither of which was a great fight. Yep. Um, but on the list of, of biggest Cinco de Mayo fights, they're certainly one and two. And it was interesting looking back at how some years they really didn't manage to put together a big fight for this week for one reason or another, with probably the lowest low being Triple G versus Vanis Martirosian in 2018. Yes. Uh, although, although... De La Hoya versus Stevie Forbes was another pretty weak one that stood out. Um, and speaking of Oscar, I'd say his fight with Yuri Boy Campus in 03 really started this. Um, this was mm. like a, a marking time tune-up type fight that sold huge on pay-per-view and effectively got the gears turning that, uh, you know what? Maybe this is a holiday we should be exploiting every year. Uh, build a build around a big star, ideally a Mexican or Mexican-American star like Oscar and make a big deal about it. And so it was that one in 03 that really kind of got the ball rolling. And I don't know if you remember this about that fight, but no one was buying campus as an opponent for De La Hoya. Right. And Bob Arum had campus say this thing that he had some magical Mexican potion oh, that yeah. he was. Do you remember that? I, I do. Now that you say it, I had forgotten all about it. Uh, to the extent that, like, the Nevada Commission was like, we're going to have to have a look at this. Like, what is this that you're you're taking? And it was all just completely made up to to sell the fight. I think Sternberg was heavily involved in, in <laughs> that. In, sounds in, about in right. That. It does, doesn't it? This and, has uh, the stink yeah. of Sternberg all over it. <laughs> it really does, actually. And yeah, and they just made up this whole controversy to help sell the fight because nobody was buying that. Yuri Boy Campus was a legit opponent for Oscar De La Hoya. Wow. So yeah. And that fight was 20 years ago last week, if you want to feel like an old friend. Horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. When this September, we're coming to my 20th anniversary for my first, for being involved in boxing. Uh, De La Hoya Mosley 2 was my first ringside fight. All right. All right. We'll have to throw you a big party. Have you mentioned what your first ringside fight was? I think you probably have. I'm pretty sure I have at some point, but it was, so it was uh, October... Fourth, I know the date right off the top of my head. October fourth, nineteen ninety-seven, Atlantic City. Uh, main event: Lennox Lewis, Andrew Galata. Co-feature: mm. Arturo Gatti, Gabriel Ruelas. And so that's uh, that's yeah. why I've brought it up a, a time or two in the past, as I saw that fight and I was hooked on this sport. Wow! Yeah, when were you like twelve? <laughs> I was negative. I was. I was. I was. It was. In, I was in the womb. It was a fetus. Yes. <laughs> All right, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back next week to break down Taylor Cameron and Haney Lomachenko and to look ahead to the rematch between Mauricio Lara and Lee Wood, among other things. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs> <laughs>